John Bunyan, John Flavel, John Williams, John Patton. What do these men have in common other than their first names? Answer, they suffered immensely for Jesus. You might think, geez, then I'm never naming any of my kids John. But it's not the name John that made them suffer. It was the name Jesus that made them suffer. They loved Jesus and they wanted the gospel to go forth. And because they did tell people about Jesus, they suffered. They knew what Jesus said was true. Out of John 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So as we look at 1 Kings 22 today, and turn there in your Bibles if you would, and we're going to just kind of hover over verses 24 through 28 today and let the implications of this text land on us. And this will be more of a a topical sermon, if you will. We're going to be reminded that we will suffer just like Jesus said in John 15. And so what keeps us afloat as we suffer for Jesus? How do we swallow Jesus' words in John 15? How do we stand up for truth in this cultural climate? Because it's starting to heat up, isn't it? It's getting hot in here. You can make s'mores off the heat that's coming to the church, right? Listen, I have no doubt in my mind that persecution is coming to America. It's just a matter of time. I'm not a prophet. I don't mean to alarm anyone. I could totally be wrong, but I think we'll see it in my lifetime and probably beyond. And I, I'm praying for revival, though. But part of my job as a pastor is to prepare you for times of suffering and persecution. Part of my job is to point you to what will sustain you when you suffer and when persecution comes your way. And what sustains God's people in those moments? What sustains you when they start rounding up Christians and putting them in jail? What is going to sustain you on that day when they knock on your door? The answer is not you. The answer is not your resolve. It's not your dedication to Jesus. It's Jesus. It's his dedication to you. And keeping Jesus before your eyes is what will help to strengthen you if those days come. Awe of Jesus, being in awe of him, awe of Jesus is what will give you courage to face whatever you face in this world. Paul Tripp says, I think we are motivated by fear, worry, dread, and anxiety much more than we realize. The decisions we make and the actions we take are motivated more often by avoiding what we fear than by the courage of faith. Courage results not from trusting yourself, other people, or your circumstances. All these things will fail you. Courage results 
from being in awe of the majesty of God. That worshipful fear that grips your heart when you are confronted with His holy grandeur. Because you are in awe of who God is and because you know that this awesome one is in you, with you, and for you, you do not live in fear of people, locations, and situations. Or the coronavirus, right? We don't have to live in fear. My own personal opinion is that the powers that be want to strike fear in our hearts. It's how they control us. We don't even have to live in fear of the coronavirus. So our big idea today is what sustained and motivated all these men named John that I mentioned. John Bunyan, John Flavel, John Williams, John Patton. Our big idea is what sustained them and what motivated them to risk their lives for the gospel. And it's this. Be in awe that Jesus suffered for you. That he went to the cross for you, for your sins, for the way you treated your spouse this week, for the evil thoughts that went through your mind as you lay in bed last night. Jesus suffered for you, for your sin. Be in awe of that more than you live in the fear of dread or dread of what might come. And that's what sustained all of these men named John. It was awe of God. The gospel got down into the nooks and crannies of their hearts and they stood up for truth. And so as we go along and we look at a few of these men and their wives and their families and how they suffered for the gospel, let's not forget that there were women and families standing right alongside these men as they suffered. There were wives who died as their husbands were suffering. Wives who prayed for their husbands. Children who prayed for their daddies. So when we talk about men like this, oftentimes we only talk about them and we don't talk about the families that stood behind them and alongside them, praying for them so that they could endure suffering. And so we'll see a few wives today. And, and some of them just keep dying and the men live. But sometimes people don't mention this, and they just focus on the men. But what we will see with these men is what we'll see with the prophet Micaiah in our text today. So first up is John Bunyan. You've probably heard of him. He wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. But he suffered immensely for Jesus. He was imprisoned for preaching the gospel for 12 years. I mean, imagine never backing down from your conviction. And he had a family. His wife had to raise their kids all alone. One of their little girls was blind, and that weighed heavily upon John Bunyan as he sat in prison. So the pain of following Jesus was real. It was raw. It broke John Bunyan's heart into a million pieces. In fact, he said being away from his family was like pulling the flesh from his bones. And yet he loved Jesus so much that he stayed in that prison for 12 years. All he had to do was say, okay, I won't preach the gospel anymore. And when they asked him to recant and not to preach God's word, this is what he said. I have determined the almighty God being my help and shield yet to suffer if frail life might continue so long even till the moss shall grow on mine eyebrows rather than thus to violate my faith and principles. So what sustained John Bunyan? 
What made him say that he would stay in prison until moss grew on his eyebrows rather than deny his Lord? He was in awe of Jesus. He was in awe that grace abounded to a sinner like him. And so he could not deny his Lord who had been so kind to him. And that's what enabled him to suffer. He even said the word of God and fellowship with Jesus became sweeter in prison as he suffered. Imagine that. His walk with Christ deepened as he suffered. He said this, I never had in all my life so great an inlet into the word of God as now in prison. Those scriptures that I saw nothing in before were made in this place and state to shine upon me. Jesus Christ also was never more real and apparent than now. Here I have seen him and felt him indeed. I've had sweet sights of the forgiveness of my sins in this place and of my being with Jesus in another world. I have seen that here that I am persuaded that I shall never while in this world be able to express. Only awe of God can cause someone to say that. And so we've been looking at all of this over the past few weeks. We will either follow Hollywood or the Holy Spirit. We'll either listen to what's said in God's word or we'll listen to what's said on social media. There's no middle ground. It's Jesus or the fiery furnace. It's Jesus or the lion's den. We will suffer when we follow Jesus. The Bible makes that very clear. And so what happens when we follow God's word and not culture? What happens when we follow Jesus and we share the gospel and we speak the truth of God's word? Well, the Bible tells us over and over again we see it. God clearly tells us what we can expect as we serve him in this world. The Bible tells us and it writes it with like 98 size font, bold, underlined, italicized. Here's what we can expect when we stand up for Jesus. Persecution, affliction, hardship, suffering, even martyrdom might await us. You have to appreciate that about the Bible, right? God tells us over and over again that we will suffer. And he doesn't just tell us in a footnote or some random end note. Suffering and persecution get top billing in God's word. You see it all over the place. And we see it in our passage today. So turn to 1 Kings 22 if you haven't. We'll come back to more of these men named John as we go along. But right now we're going to look at a man named Micaiah. 1 Kings 22 beginning in verse 24. And hear the word of the Lord. Then Zedekiah the son of Canaanah came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And then Ahab king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon the governor of the city and to Joash the king's son and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. 
So remember what we saw last week. Micaiah told King Ahab that he would go into battle and die in contrast to what Zedekiah and company, the 400 prophets, had told King Ahab. And so Zedekiah now runs over to the prophet Micaiah and punches him in the face and asks him, how did the spirit of the Lord go from me to you? In other words, Zedekiah wants to know why the Holy Spirit is so fickle in his mind. Why does the Holy Spirit one minute say that Ahab is going to go into battle and win and then the next predict his downfall? Well, of course, we know the answer, right? Because Zedekiah and the others have been prophesying lies. We saw that last week. The lying spirit sent from God inspired them, not the Holy Spirit. So Micaiah answers Zedekiah and simply says, you just wait and see. If I'm lying, you'll know it. But I'm speaking the truth and you'll know it. One day you will take off running and you'll hide in the inner chamber and then you will know that I am right. Well, then King Ahab orders Micaiah to be put in the slammer, take the mugshot, get the fingerprints, and to be kept on a diet of bread and water until the battle for Ramoth Gilead is over. And then Micaiah once again tells King Ahab, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Hear all you peoples. So the prophet Micaiah has faithfully delivered God's word. He stood up for truth. And what does he get? What does he get for serving Jesus? Punch in the face, thrown in jail, served meager rations. What we see here with Micaiah is that God's word is offensive. Truth is offensive. The gospel is offensive. As Marion Lovett says, the gospel will be offensive to the Jew, a stumbling block, to the Greek, foolishness, but it alone is the power of God and salvation. The language of the gospel will be considered narrow. Jesus will be offensive. God's law will be considered hate speech. Truth itself will be despised and beauty and goodness will become repulsive. We are already observing this trajectory. The days are coming when simply speaking the truth may land people in jail. But that is the antithesis we should expect. Only when the antithesis is maintained can battles be won. The law of God reveals the sins of people and those who have not ears to hear will lash out against godliness like Cain did against Abel. Because of our compromises, we have lost some ground to the enemy in recent days. Undoubtedly, it will be regained, but to do so will now take stronger soldiers. And God is raising them up even now and preparing them for the front lines. A biblical worldview teaches us not to fear persecution. As strange as that may sound, Persecution is a means to further blessing. Death for Jesus is a door to greater life. Suppression of the church is a means for her flourishing. Trials are fires that purify, not destroy. So we need to hold up the truth and not be ashamed of the gospel. For too long we have promoted the government of our nation as its savior. It's time to turn back to Christ. Trust him alone alone and bow our knee to him alone as the head of all the nations and participate willingly in his triumph. Victory is ours. Much needed words for the church today, right? Well, that's what we see here with Micaiah. 
truth was despised. The very clear word of God was rejected. And that's what we see with the next man named John that I want to highlight. Next up, John Flavel. He was one of the Puritans, and he too suffered immensely, but he clung to the truth of God's word, just like the prophet Micaiah did. And Flavel developed a steel spine to endure persecution, and yet he also developed a soft heart in the midst of his suffering to care for his church and to encourage it. And get this, he even dressed like a woman one time. He was a cross-dressing preacher. I suppose you'd like me to explain. Okay. Jean Flavel, born in 1627, died in 1691, was no stranger to suffering. His father was a pastor and was arrested for preaching the gospel and thrown into prison. And then his father died from the plague. He knew suffering. Flavel's wife, Joan, died while giving birth to their first child. Their baby died as well. Flavel remarried again, and his second wife died. He married for a third time, and guess what? His third wife died. All that he knew in his ministry was suffering. And on top of all of that, John Flavel experienced many other hardships in his pastoral ministry. He was ejected from his pulpit by the government because he would not conform to what they said he needed to preach. But yet, he continued to meet secretly with his parishioners, even though they kicked him out of his church. The government said, if you don't conform to what we say and say what we say, then you can't be a pastor anymore. So he was kicked out. But he still met with his people. And on occasion, he would meet with them in the woods and preach for them. And sometimes their church services lasted until midnight. And once, he even had to dress as a woman on horseback in order to reach a secret meeting place so that he could preach and baptize people. Can you imagine that? Your pastor has a wig on and lipstick and he's wearing a dress as he baptizes you? Don't worry, I have no desire to do that. But if persecution came, I would do whatever it took to keep sharing God's word with you. I'd even dress as a woman and meet with you in secret in order to encourage you with the gospel and to remind you to keep your eyes on Jesus. TMI? Maybe. And this is exactly what John Flavel did. For a brief moment, he was a cross-dressing preacher. Why? Because he cared for his church and he knew that they needed to be encouraged to keep their eyes on Jesus, to not lose their awe of the gospel. He he met with them to remind them that they needed to maintain sweet fellowship with Jesus. On another occasion, he was pursued by the authorities and had to plunge his horse into the sea and to swim through rocks which severely cut him so that he could escape. So Flavel suffered greatly in ministry and in his life. And his final words demonstrate the perspective that he had through it all. His final words on his deathbed were, I know that it will be well with me. Why are we afraid of death? It will be well with us, won't it? John Flavel knew that even though he had suffered so much, God had a plan in it all. 
God indeed does work all things according to the counsel of his will. So you can trust him today, Grace. Whatever's happening in your life, whatever kind of suffering you're experiencing, whether it's because you stand up for Jesus or just because it's you suffer in this world, you can trust him. When things happen that you don't understand and that make you scratch your head, know that God is working in it. When you suffer for Jesus, trust that all will be well with you. The prophet Micaiah knew that all would be well with him too. He trusted in God's word. He said, here, wait and see. He's trusting in God's word. You're going to see, Zedekiah. When you run off hiding, you're going to see that I'm speaking the truth, the truth of God's word, and that's what I'm trusting in. He let God's word inform his thoughts. Micaiah knew that God's righteousness and justice would be made known in God's time. The irony here, of course, is that Zedekiah's name means that. Zedekiah means Yahweh is my righteousness. The guy who punched Micaiah, his name means Yahweh is my righteousness. And yet Zedekiah would one day see the Lord's righteousness and justice prevail as he was hiding away. Even if they threw Micaiah in jail, they would see it. So no matter what happens, no matter how much we suffer, we will be vindicated and God's truth will prevail just what like what happened to the next guy named John that I want to tell you about. John Williams, not the Star Wars guy. Some of you are like, yes, John Williams, not that guy. John Williams was a missionary to the New Hebrides, now called Vanuatu. He landed on the shore on November 20th, 1839 with his friend James Harris And within minutes upon arriving on the shore, they were clubbed to death and then cooked for dinner and eaten by cannibals. Short-term mission trip. Seconds after arriving on the shore, beaten to death and then barbecued. Well, interestingly, about 10 years later, two other guys named John, John Getty and John Inglis, arrived a few years apart from one another. But by 1854, they, through their ministries, they saw over 3,500 of these savages, these cannibals, come to faith in Jesus. As I mentioned last week, I don't understand the, word, the ways of God. I don't understand, like we saw last week, that God calls the spirits into his throne room and says... What are we going to do here? And one spirit says, I'll go be a lying spirit in the mouth of those prophets. And God says, okay, go do that. I don't understand. I have no category for that. And I don't understand why one, two guys go and are immediately beaten and eaten. And then two other guys go and over 3,500 savages come to faith in Christ. I don't understand the ways of God Two men end up as breakfast for cannibals. Two men see 3,500 cannibals come to faith. God's ways are so far beyond us. We just bow down and praise his infinite wisdom. Be in awe of him this morning. Be humbled by this story. Be humbled that you can't put God in a box. Be humbled. Just let it humble you. Get low before the Lord and say, I don't understand your ways 
but I know you're good, and I know you're in control, and I know you're going to bring good out of whatever situation I'm in, so it's good for me to be humbled and to go through this experience and to have the swagger knocked out of my step and to humble myself before you, Lord. You can trust him when you do that. The safest place is on your knees. Well, then another John went to be a missionary there after these other guys. In 1858, John Patton went to the southern area of the New Hebrides where the gospel was for the most part unknown. John Patton knew that he too could end up on the menu of a group of cannibals. So there's a famous story about his departure that maybe you've read about. As he was departing, he was warned not to go because he might be eaten alive. A Mr. Dixon exploded. The cannibals! You will be eaten by the cannibals because the memory of John Williams and James Harris was only 19 years old, but it was still fresh in everyone's mind. And to this, John Patton has famously responded, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. A few months after arriving in the New Hebrides Islands, modern-day Vanuatu, Patton's pregnant wife Mary gave birth And then she died. And then a few weeks later, their newborn son died. Patton dug their graves with his bare hands. And he would often visit the spot where his wife and baby boy were buried. He said this about that spot. Stunned by that dreadful loss in entering upon this field of labor to which the Lord had himself so evidently led me, my reason seemed for a time almost to give way. The ever-merciful Lord sustained me. And that spot became my sacred and much-frequented shrine during all the following months and years when I labored on for the salvation of the savage islanders amidst difficulties, dangers, and deaths. But for Jesus and the fellowship he vouchsafed to me there, I must have gone mad and died beside the lonely grave. Patton said if it wasn't for the sweet fellowship that he had with Jesus during his loss, he would have gone mad. He would have gone crazy. And then on top of this overwhelming and unimaginable loss, John Patton's life was constantly threatened by these savage, cannibalistic islanders that he was trying to reach with the gospel. But it was his fellowship with Jesus. That's the most fascinating aspect of his story. Against the background, ground of so much affliction and so much loss in his life and in his ministry, John Patton walked close with Jesus. That means in the midst of hardship and suffering and turmoil in our lives, we can walk close with Jesus. It doesn't make sense, does it? But we can. And Patton did. In one particular story, He hid high in a tree as a band of natives hunted him. Shots from their muskets rang out along with all of their screaming and yelling. All the while, he laid and stayed put in the tree quiet. He tells about it. 
He says, never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone, if it be to glorify my God. I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. If you would have asked John Patton for advice for a new missionary, he probably would have said, be in awe that Jesus suffered for you. He would say, feel your Savior's spiritual presence. Enjoy sweet fellowship with Jesus because there's nothing better. Like John Patton, in times of sorrow and sadness and suffering, Jesus comes to us too. He draws near to us to speak soothingly to our souls and we have sweet fellowship with him. We go through these dark nights and we pour our hearts out to Jesus and we feel his presence and we enjoy his consoling fellowship. So no matter how dark or dangerous it gets for us, for the church, in this cultural climate, doesn't matter what happens, fellowship with Jesus is sweeter. No matter where we are, what's going on, or who's after us, fellowship with Jesus is always sweeter. He speaks soothingly to our souls and we find rest. Listen, enjoy his presence in the pain. Get alone with him and like John Patton, tell your heart to Jesus and he will meet you there. And so we take all of, the exa- all of these examples and we are reminded that we too will suffer for following Jesus. You might be punched by a false prophet like Micaiah. You might be eaten by cannibals like John Williams and James Harris. You might be thrown in prison like John Bunyan and be there so long that moss starts to grow in your eyebrows. Or you might have to hide in a tree all night while savages shoot their muskets at you. Or you can just fill in the blank. We will all suffer in different ways, but the answer for all of us is the same. Be in awe that Jesus suffered for you. Be flabbergasted that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die in your place. Be in awe that Jesus suffered for you, for all of your sin, for all of your failures to obey God's law, and then let that joy give you a steel spine and a soft heart As you suffer, courage results not from trusting yourself or other people or your circumstances. All of these things will fail you. Courage results from being in awe of the majesty of God, that worshipful fear that grips your heart when you are confronted with his holy grandeur. Because you are in awe of who God is and because you know that this awesome one is in you, with you, and for you, you do not live in fear of people, locations, situations, or the coronavirus. I think Jesus is trying to get our attention. 
this morning. Because what did we read in our New City Catechism this morning? Again, we don't plan this stuff. Jesus does. New City Catechism, we started over again today. Question one, what is our only hope in life and death that we are not our own but belong, body and soul, both in life and death to God and to our Savior Jesus Christ? We belong to Jesus in life and death. We have hope even in the face of death, even in the face of martyrdom. We can have hope even as we suffer, even if we end up on the menu of some cannibals. Why? Because we believe in the resurrection. Jesus suffered, Jesus died, and Jesus was raised. Do we expect anything different for us? We also saw it, it's on your, in the prayer sheet in your bulletin, our Pray for Awakening this week. Pray for awakening, neighbors, church, and coworkers. Pray that the members of your church would be full of zeal to serve Christ and bear witness to him in your community. And it's with our fighter verse, which is in your, on a paper in your bulletin. The fighter verse this week is, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus is trying to get our attention as a church in this cultural climate, in our location on the central coast. And he's saying to us, you belong to me. I'm watching over you. Don't fear. Be full of zeal and bear witness about me. If I am for you, who can really be against you, huh? Cannibals, really? Cannibals, Jesus. Cannibals with muskets. Jesus, he's speaking to us through our passage today as well. So 1 Kings 22, verses 24 to 28, it's just a picture of what Jesus endured for us. In fact, in John 18, we know Jesus was punched in the face a few hours before he went to the cross. And so 1 Kings 22, 24 to 28 is the John 15, 18 to 20 of the Old Testament where Jesus said that we would suffer just like him. 1 Kings 22, 24 to 28 is telling you what Jesus is telling you in John 15. The world will hate you. It may be a head-hunting cannibal. It may be your mother-in-law. Maybe your mother-in-law is a head-hunting cannibal. People will hate you because you follow Jesus. So don't be startled if people hate your guts because you love Jesus. Don't be shocked that they hate you because you follow Christ. 1 Kings 22 is in the Bible today to remind us of that truth. God's people have always been hated by the world. But there's no reason to fear. Please understand it. There is no reason to fear at all. But there's also no guarantee to how any of us will react to persecution, is there? We might have courage. Or we might be cowards. We don't know. But there is a guarantee that the world will hate us and there is a rock-solid guarantee that Jesus will be faithful to us. So two guarantees in life. The world will hate you. Jesus will be faithful. There's no guarantee that you won't be a coward like Peter and deny Jesus when persecution comes. There's no guarantee that I'm going to be uh, strong and stand up. I might be a coward. I don't know. But even if we are unfaithful, the Apostle Paul said this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. 
2 Timothy 2.13. That's promise enough for me. Even if I am unfaithful, Jesus remains faithful. What a promise. So let me encourage you to do two things today. Number one, keep sharing Jesus. Wherever God has placed you, your neighborhood, your classroom, your gym, where you work out, your coffee shop, your family, keep sharing Jesus. And start praying now and asking God to open doors for you to invite someone to church on Easter. Easter is just around the corner. It'll be here before we know it. Start praying for people to fill this place on Easter. Start inviting people. Keep sharing Jesus. Number two, grab one of the post-it notes that are out on the wall in the hallway on your way out. About one year ago, we started writing down the names of people that we wanted to pray for, that they would come to know Jesus. And so you can see, you see them. They're all over that wall out there. Today, I want you to grab one or two as you leave and commit to praying for them. Put the post-it notes in your Bible, on your bathroom mirror, by your speedometer, in your car, and let's keep praying for those people to know Jesus. And then whatever post-it notes are left, I'm going to put in the classrooms that have whiteboards so that we can keep praying for them and be reminded of that. Keep sharing Jesus. Grab a post-it note. Let me give you one more thing to do today. Be in awe that Jesus suffered for you. Let awe of God fill your heart. Don't fear persecution. Don't worry. Instead, worship. Don't worry. Worship. That's how you get your awe back. That's how you get the steel spine and the soft heart. You worship Jesus. Don't worry about the ow that comes when you're persecuted. Don't fear what pain, what ow might endure, you might endure if you get punched like Micaiah. Don't focus on the ow. Instead, be in awe. We tend to focus on the ow that might come our way instead of being in awe that Jesus suffered for us. So don't worry. Worship. Don't worry about the owl of your suffering. Worship and be in awe of Jesus' suffering for you on the cross, for your sin, and for your rebellion. The worst thing that could happen to us is not getting punched. It's not being put in jail. The worst thing that could happen is not being eaten by cannibals. Losing our awe is the worst thing that could happen to us. Let me say that again. Losing our awe is the worst thing that could happen to us. If we get to the place where we're not absolutely flabbergasted that Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins, when the gospel becomes old hat and you're like, I've heard it enough, that's a scary place to be. Losing our awe is the worst thing that could happen to us. Have you lost your awe of Jesus today? You're like, ah, Benji's always talking about the gospel, talking about something else. Have you lost your awe today? Come home. Come to this table today and renew your awe. Stay in God's word. Humble yourself under his word. Keep reading the Bible. And don't skip church. Please don't skip church. Make worship on Sunday with your family and your church family. Make it a priority. And keep thinking about how much Jesus loves you, even though you are frequently, spectacularly unfaithful. And even if they throw you in jail, keep loving Jesus and standing up for truth until moss grows on your eyebrows. 
So as we come to the table today to celebrate the Lord's Supper, be in awe that Jesus suffered for you. Come to this table today and tell your heart to Jesus. Tell him where you struggle. You come here to get strength for the journey. Tell him your pain. Tell him your sorrow. Repent. Confess sin. And then feel again your Savior's spiritual presence and enjoy his consoling fellowship this morning. Enjoy his sweet fellowship today at this table because there's nothing better. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for suffering for us. We don't understand all your ways. I'm flabbergasted that you love me and forgive me. I don't get it. I don't deserve it. It's so hard for me to believe so many days. But you do love us. And we do love sin. And we choose it all the time. And so we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for not trusting you. Forgive us for worrying. Forgive us for fear. Forgive us for bitterness. Forgive us for anger. Forgive us for lust. Forgive us for pride. Wash us and then meet us here today and give us strength for the journey as we feast on you by faith. In your name we pray, amen.